0: So, we're looking at Genesis chapter 22 this morning, and uh, you'll find it in your worship folder or in the Bible. And um, the title I've given this is A New Test. And as you will remember from last week, uh, we are looking now at the book of Genesis. And Genesis, the word Genesis, of course, means beginning. And so the series is entitled A New uh, Beginning or New Beginnings. And that's very much the theme of Genesis. It's the foundational text for the Gospel, for the Bible. Uh, for all that God has for us. And so it's important that we understand it. Now, I'm not going through Genesis word by word, text by text. Instead, I'm just picking out all the best bits, because that's kind of fun. And, um, but actually what I'm doing is I'm picking out each of the key pivot moments, the new beginnings. Okay? So as we saw last week, um, with Abraham... God is doing something new, and so he's gathering a people around Abraham and a b- new blessing that will come to Abraham. And of course, the reason for that is right from the beginning, God made the world. He made it good, and indeed, at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, he announces it blessed. Uh, he, he's blessing his creation. Uh, God is a God who loves, not hashtag blessed in some kind of trivial, superficial way, but but Out of the fullness of the beauty and the glory of his personhood, he's investing all that in us. And the culmination of his creation, um, man and woman, made in the image of God. Blessed! But as we thought last week, of course, in many ways, the Bible and the story of the Bible, you have a Bible open in front of you and you'll know that uh, between the Old and the New Testament... There's often inserted a page, a blank page, to mark a division. And there are reasons for that, of course. Uh, Matthew's Gospel begins with the story of Jesus. But in many ways, to really uh, grasp the message of the Bible, you need to actually, as it were, I'm not suggesting you do it, though you could if you like, but as it were, tear out that blank page in between the Old and the New Testament. Because God has a plan that he announced to Abraham, and that plan is now fulfilled in Christ and is going to all nations, as he said to Abraham. Abraham. And you want to tear out that page, and if you're going to insert it somewhere, you might like to insert it around Genesis chapter 3, because uh, we don't live in that world of blessing. We live under actually God's curse of this world, and that's what we experience all the time. That's why politics are so hard. Uh, That's why we suffer and die. That's why uh, you feel like you're always investing more and more energy in life, and yet it feels like there's a hole under the bag, and the more you pour in, the more it pours out, or thorns, as uh, Genesis chapter 3 describes working experience. This is our reality. And so, of course, the question that Genesis has is, what is God going to do about that? And the answer is, he's going to bless his creation again. And that begins with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, go to a land that I have for you. Abraham went. Abraham as he was then. And God announced blessing based upon that faithful obedience. And now we come to this chapter. And the, passage, uh, the, the, the message I've, I've called here is a new test. Because, of course, what happened between <laughs> those two events, the one we looked at last Sunday and the one we're looking at this Sunday, there's an awful lot. And in particular, Abraham failed significantly. And many of us will know the story. Uh, he was told that it his, this new blessing of God's would come through a son. And as he and Sarah increasingly advanced into old age, they found it more and more ridiculous. And in the end, they decided to give God a helping hand. And, uh, and so Abraham, well, through a concubine, had another son, Ishmael. And God had a plan for Ishmael too. But it wasn't this covenant plan of God to bless all nations. So Abraham, in a significant way, failed. And now towards the end of his life comes this new moment, this new pivot moment, a new test. And really what God is doing, and as you look at the text, you see actually this is a test from God. Some time later, God tested Abraham. Really what God is doing is he's showing to Abraham that actually now, because he's matured as a person, because he's grown in his faith, Abraham now really is the person that he was always intended to be. He really is this Father Abraham filled with faith. And God then reaffirms the blessing to Abraham at the end of the story. It's a test. And the passage itself is structured very simply around three movements. Three responses of Abraham that I'll show you in just a moment. But before we get into that, we need to spend just a little bit of time understanding the distinction between a test and a temptation. So the Bible tells us that God does not tempt us, He does not tempt us. But God does test His people. And He tested here Abraham. What's the difference between a temptation? And a test. Well, a temptation is a bit like this. If you were tempting someone, you might leave your credit card out in the open on a table uh, with a video camera rolling to see if that person would take the the credit card. (laughs) That's a temptation. You want them to fail. You want to catch them out. You're tempting them. And God does not do that. But he does test. What's a test? A test would be a bit more like this. A test is uh, giving someone a budget to be responsible for. That's just a little bit further in advance of what they're currently capable of doing so that they can stretch and meet this new test. Of course, parents do this with children all the time. I remember with our child, when they begin to learn, they have these, uh, learn to ride a bike, they have these training wheels, don't they? And they enjoy riding the training wheels, and there comes a moment when perhaps they need to learn to ride without training wheels. Are they called training wheels? You know what I mean? Am I speaking American, not English? I am? Good. Okay. So, uh, but there comes a moment as a parent when you think, really, they should be just doing the thing with the two wheels, and let's give them a chance, and... You start to sort of, you know, push out the boat a little bit, and of course they fall off, and you encourage them, they get back up again, and they fall off. You're testing them, and you want them to pass the test so that they can say, you know, I learned to ride a bike, and I can do it now, and they, they feel good about it. Well, God does test his people because he wants to train them, because he wants to develop them, because he wants them to be people of faith who can then inherit the blessing, to be co-inheritors with Christ. Of all the blessing of God for the whole of... Uh, Creation and out of the overflow of God's glory and his beauty and his wisdom and his love. So there is this test. The Bible says that um, God does his test, uh, does test his people. For instance, Exodus chapter 15: Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. In other words, he's, he's giving a little bit of a test. So that God's people can leave behind a pattern of sin and enter into more godliness and Christ-likeness and be more fit vessels to receive all of his love and joy and peace and hope. To leave the training wheels behind, as it were. And see, that's what's going on here. He's testing Abraham so that Abraham will realize that actually he is the person that um, is the appropriate recipient of God's blessing. And not God's blessing as a sort of hashtag blessed kind of way, but really all that it means to know God. If you want to understand what blessing is, ultimately to be blessed by God is to have God, to know God, to be with God. That's really what it means to be blessed. And so there is this testing. Now, before we move on to the, the structure of the passage, I just want to ask then a question, which is this. Are you facing a test? In many ways, uh, many ways, the whole of the Christian life is a test. It's a pilgrimage as we grow and develop until we're finally ready to pass through the door to Canaan. And there'll be many tests along the way. Are you facing a test this morning? Maybe it's the test of uh, being faithful to your wife. And you're really struggling with that. You've got to 45 years old and you're feeling the itch. We could have a conversation offline about that, men, if you like. You're wondering, can I really be faithful to my wife? It's a test. Perhaps, on the other hand, you're facing the test of rearing, challenging children. Children are never challenging, are they? You know, we see these pictures, these families all around, all these beautiful children, and they come to church, they're all so perfectly dressed. And they look so wonderful, and surely the mothers are just, how do they do it? They must do it easily. It looks so easy. It's not easy. And maybe you're facing a test of rearing godly children. Maybe you're facing a test of exams, real test. In that sense, just the actual test of schoolwork. Am I going to be able to get what I need, to be able to get the career I need, to be able to pay off the debt that my parents are paying for me to go to school? And it's a test. And can you trust God for that test? And how can you pass the test? Well, we're going to look and learn from Abraham. And in essence, what this passage is teaching us is this, when we pass God's test, through extraordinary faith, we receive the confirmation of extraordinary blessing. When we pass God's extraordinary test with extraordinary faith, we receive the confirmation of extraordinary blessing. So it is a lesson of faith. And you want to ask yourself, how on earth was it that Abraham managed to obey God? And of course, the New Testament tells us, Hebrews tells us this Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him, that is Isaac, from the dead. So that's what he's thinking in his head as he goes along this journey. He's thinking, God gave me Isaac, that was a miracle. My wife and I were far too old for bearing children, but we had this child. God can do that. He gave life to Isaac, and therefore he can give new life. He can raise the dead. That's what he's thinking. He considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Hebrews Chapter 11. So it's a lesson of faith, that great roll call of faith, Hebrews 11, and extraordinary faith. And it's structured around three movements, verse 1, verse 7, verse 11, and three responses that indicate these three movements, responses from Abraham. And so Abraham responds with the most extraordinary statement, simple but yet so extraordinary that it must be noticed to take in the amazing faith that God had given Abraham and is now revealed in Abraham to encourage him and strengthen him. Abraham, who had failed so spectacularly with Hagar and Ishmael, is now being shown through the means of this test that he is the great man of faith that God had called him right at the beginning New beginnings, new tests, right at the beginning to be. And so God calls out, verse 1, Abraham, Abraham. And he responds stunningly, simply, here I am. And if you don't think that's stunning, you don't think it's amazing, then you just want to look back through the story of Abraham and compare that with the kind of responses that Abraham had made in the past. Here it is now, it's simply, here I am. He's a vessel, ready to be used. Here I am, what an answer. It's not, uh, God, um, I have a few other things on my mind right now, I'm a little bit busy. It's not, uh, wait a minute, God, I've got to finish the laundry. No, it is, uh, yes, sir. Here I am. And he's asked to do this extraordinary thing. And early the next morning he goes. So there's no delay. There's no, let's take a week or two or maybe a month to think about this. God is asking me to do something pretty amazing. I need to really think about this? No. No. There's no, um, you know, God, thanks for talking to me, but I really need to pray about this. You ever found that? You know, you find something very clear in the Bible. I mean, just think through the mental process here. God is saying something very clear to you in the Bible, and the response is, well, God, I need to pray about that. What God is telling you, you need to talk to him more about to see if you're actually going to obey him. (laughs) Abraham doesn't do that. He doesn't say, let's pray about this. He doesn't even say that response, much beloved to every Christian institution in the Western world, let's put together a committee. Early the next morning. Didn't even wait until later in the day? This is a man of faith, and indeed extraordinary faith. Early the next morning, he did not delay to obey. Straight away. Here I am. But then look at how the story reflects and resonates on this amazing, extraordinary faith of Abraham when his son Isaac begins to ask him what on earth is going on. I mean, what would Isaac have been thinking here? Well, we know what he says. Verse 7. Uh, Father... Uh, Dad! Uh, Sometimes my children talk to me like that. Uh, Dad! You just missed the exit! I was taking Eliana out for a daddy-daughter date yesterday and we were going to Starbucks and uh, I stopped and then we got out of the car and we started walking to Starbucks and... You know, those of you who know me know that I'm a little bit of an absent-minded professor type, so immediately I'm thinking about something else. You know, my mind's going round and round and round, and we just walk right past Starbucks. And Eliana's holding my hand and says, Dad! Uh, Dad, haven't you forgotten something? You know? Uh, Something's not quite right here. And then note how Abraham responds, exactly the same words. Here I am. Note the tenderness, the tenderness of the word that follows. Here I am, my son. My son, my only son, my beloved son, the son I had later in life and is so precious and dear to me and to my dear wife. The son of God's promise. The son I am now giving up and trusting that God would raise the dead. That's that's the only way I can figure it out. God has promised me the son. He has come in the most extraordinary way. And the only way it can be fitted together in God's plan is that somehow he's going to raise the dead. The son who will have to trust me as I bind him to the sacrificial table we'll have to trust that I as his dad do indeed know what is best Mummy knows best daddy knows best here I am never was more tender words spoken But look at the answer he gives to his son. God will provide. (laughs) That is an answer. (laughs) When there is no answer, humanly speaking. When there is no answer, that is the only answer you can give. How can we possibly do this or that? How on earth is this going to fit together? How can we go where we've been asked to go? How can we do this thing that is against God's law and his moral moral code and all human compassion and meaning? And there's only one answer. One answer that a man of extraordinary faith can give. God will provide it. The providence of God is a sweet solace to keep us going in the midst of the most difficult test. I don't know the future, but I know the one whose hands hold the future. I don't know how, but I do know who. Many times Christians have reflected on the providence of God down through church history. George Whitfield said this. George Whitfield believers keep up their walk with God by watching and noting his providential dealings with them. Watching and noting his providential dealings with them. B.B. Warfield put, this, put it like this. B.B. Warfield. A firm faith in the universal providence of God is the solution of all earthly problems. And he carried on. It is almost equally true that a clear and full apprehension of the universal providence of God is the solution of most theological problems. Well, Abraham had both. He had both a very practical problem. This is my son. This is my son. And he had a huge theological problem. How on earth is God going to put that together? And there's only one answer God will provide. Here I am. And then finally, when the child is laid on the altar and the arm of his father is above him, about to slay him, trusting that God will provide comes the voice of of the angel of the Lord. Now, we don't have time to get into all this, but the angel of the Lord here is, in my view, in the view of many uh, theologians, almost certainly a pre incarnate um, Christ. It's interesting what the angel of the Lord says. The angel of the Lord does not say, um, because you withhold this from God, he says, because you have trusted and, and have not withheld from me your son. So there's the pre-incarnate Christ pointing to the sacrificial ram. that Abraham is now, through faith, able finally to see. Faith gives you sight, spiritual sight. He's now able to see. Pre-incarnate Christ is revealing how when he is incarnate and lives on the earth, he himself will be the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, the sin of Isaac and the sin of of Abraham." And did you notice Abraham's response? Same thing, here I am. And it is said therefore that on the mountain the Lord God will provide. And so the blessing that God announced to his creation that Adam and Eve had rebelled against because they believed the original lie that God is not going to bless his people and his creation, and therefore had entered into a world of curse, that God is in the business of reversing through Abraham and the blessing that would go to all nations through the fulfillment of that covenant promise in Christ, that promise is now reaffirmed to Abraham. It says, surely... I'll bless you. Surely, many nations, surely. For he had passed the test. When we pass God's extraordinary test with extraordinary faith, we receive a confirmation of. Extraordinary blessing. Obedience, the faith that obeys without delay, providence, the faith that God is able to provide, and then the gospel, the sacrificial lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Three little illustrations and applications of those two points that come out of this extraordinary faith. Obedience without delay, providence, and the gospel. Obedience, Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon famously was wandering around f- trying to figure out what the next step in his career would be. Obviously a very talented young man with huge opportunities and gifts. And as he was wandering around considering the opportunities before him and in particular trying to decide whether he should take an elite position at Cambridge University and study there and enter into a path of prominence and preeminence, heard as it were in his mind an echo of a text from the Bible that he had long learned as a child. Seekest thou great things for thyself, seek them not. And Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, never went to university. He obeyed. Faith that leads to obedience without delay. Provenance. Martin Lloyd-Jones, sometimes said to be the greatest preacher of the 20th century. Martin Lloyd-Jones, of course, preached for many years in London, but there was a pivotal moment in his development as an individual, as a Christian leader, where there was an opportunity for him to take a different job. And in all likelihood, because this was a significant opportunity, he probably would have taken it, bar for one, apparent Random event. He missed the train. Perhaps you've missed a train or two, an opportunity or three. God is providentially weaving together the circumstances of your life, and you are being called here now through the example of Abraham to say, as it were, God will provide on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided for. Coincidence is when God chooses to remain anonymous. Providence. And then, of course, the gospel. Perhaps you have had your Hagar moments, your Ishmael moments, and you come in this morning burdened by sin and un- unclear and uncertain as to whether you yourself can be a recipient of God's blessing now for the fulfillment of His mission in your life and for all eternity. 1738 Aldersgate Street, May the 24th, one Wesley went in and heard the gospel of the sacrificial Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world through the reading of a particular preface to a particular book called Romans. And his heart was strangely warmed, for he was certain now, assured now, surely God will bless you. And he lived his life with bold conviction. That could be yours too this morning. Thy cross, not mine, O Christ, has borne the awful load of sins that none in heaven or earth could bear but God. To whom save thee who canst alone for sin atone? Lord, shall I flee only to God? Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, foul I to thy fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Well, let's respond to God this morning in prayer, saying, as it were, Here I am. Would you pray with me? First, would you say, Here I am, to faithfully obey? Perhaps there's an area in your life where you have delayed. Obedience. Let it be no more, would you say to him, Here I am, now in prayer. Perhaps uh, you are unsure how all the different circumstances of your life have been fitted together in the past, or will be fitted together now or in the future. Would you say to God in prayer, Lord, Lord, I trust that you will provide obedience, providence. Perhaps you are burdened by guilt and sin, and the devil loves to whisper in your ear that you are a sinner. Would you say now, Abraham was a sinner, and God blessed him? Through faith, finally fulfilled in the sacrificial work of Christ at the cross, would you receive the truth of that gospel so that you know you are surely blessed? To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son stand now to sing.